0: Please take your Bibles and turn with me at this time to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we'll be starting this morning. Uh, We're in the middle of a new message series called Foundations of Marriage. We are taking four weeks, it's a short series, four weeks to look at this all-important subject of marriage. And Last week we looked at the beginning of marriage the beginning of marriage. And we saw that when Jesus was asked about the nature of marriage, what did he do? He went back to the beginning. He went back to creation to show us God's original design for marriage. And uh, that design has not changed, by the way. And, and through Jesus' words that we studied last week in Matthew 19, uh, we were able to determine the following biblical definition This comes directly from Jesus' words. And we want to look at it again now. Marriage was created by God as a sacred covenant relationship between a man and a woman based on a public vow of lifetime faithfulness. Let me read that to you again because this definition is really the the basis of our whole series. We're going to come back to it all four weeks. Marriage was created by God as a sacred covenant covenant relationship between a man and a woman based on a public vow of lifetime faithfulness. Today we're going to be looking at a variety of scriptures relating to God and marriage, the theology behind marriage, but we'll begin uh, by reading these beautiful verses from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 28. Uh, Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. This is the Word of God. Let us pray. Dear God, as we look at these verses and other verses from the Scriptures, uh, I pray that you would teach us even more about marriage, and we begin to understand uh, how important it is that we follow uh, your, your guidelines for marriage, uh, how important that is for our witness uh, to this world. Uh, teach us, we pray. Open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Now, the title of today's message is God and Marriage, which raises the question, what does God have to do with marriage? Or just as important, what does marriage have to do with God? You know, last week we saw that God created marriage. Marriage was His idea. It is part of the original created order. And as such, we we can see that God is, is both underneath and behind marriage, creating it designing it, defining it, and upholding it. But then as we continue through the Bible, as we move forward uh, from the book of Genesis and those opening chapters, we learn that God is not only underneath and behind marriage, but he runs all the way through it. God and marriage are remarkably intertwined, and God's fingerprints are all over marriage. Marriage was designed by God to be a picture of God and to teach us important truths about God. And so marriage is not only sociological and biological, it is profoundly theological. Marriage is meant to teach us about God. And so today we're going to look at a variety of scriptures that speak about God and marriage and and how marriage is a picture of God. There are three specific pictures of God and marriage we'll look at this morning. You'll find all of them on the outline in your worship guide if you'd like to take that out to follow along at this time. But the three pictures, our marriage is a picture of God as Trinity, we'll talk about that. Marriage is a picture of God and His people, and thirdly, marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. So let's get started with our first picture. Marriage is a picture of God as Trinity, a picture of God as Trinity. When God created us, He created us male and female as part of His image. We read in Genesis chapter 1, "...then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So God created man in His own image." In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And so Genesis teaches us, we actually looked at this a little bit last week, God created us male and female as part of his image. Now, once again, every single human being, okay, whether you're male or female this morning, every single human being is created in God's image. But there's also this sense that it takes both together to fully reflect the image of God. And that sense takes place especially within marriage. One of the amazing aspects of marriage, according to the Bible, and the Bible brings this out again and again, is that when a man and a woman marry, the two become one. Now, there's still two individual persons, right? But they are now also one entity in marriage. Marriage is the coming together of two persons in unity. God as Trinity is also a unity of persons. God is one God, right? One God and yet three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a mystery we cannot fully explain, even as we cannot fully explain the unity of husband and wife in marriage. The Trinity, it's a mystery we cannot explain, and yet it is clearly revealed Uh, in the Bible, as Scripture proclaims, only one God, yet God the Father is God, Jesus the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. Now, God is Trinity, okay? That's that's a huge mystery. That's, That's a much bigger concept than marriage as a unity. For one thing, marriage is only a temporary union. It's for this life only. Whereas God has always been a trinity. God has always existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He always will exist as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Also in marriage, it is only two who become one, whereas God in trinity uh, is three in one. And yet God, even though God is trinity, a much bigger concept. God created us male and female, in His image. So that in marriage, the two becoming one would form a small picture of who God is. Marriage is a picture of God as Trinity. We also see this when we, when we move forward into the New Testament, uh, when God uh, it gives instructions about worship in the church and Uh, We we find these words from Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul writes, he says, I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, this verse, it takes place in a much longer passage, a very difficult passage, relating to the roles of men and women in the church. And we're not going to get into that whole chapter. That's a different topic. That's a different message. Uh, But I do want you to see some of the theology that underlies the passage, especially as it relates to the headship of God and man. We learn from this passage that God is the head of Christ. God is the head of Christ and that man is the head of woman. In other words, the man stands in relation to the woman similar to the way that God the Father stands in relation to Christ. The headship of God the Father to Christ is reflected in the headship of the man to the woman. Now, we can go to other passages of Scripture which show that this headship of of the man to the woman uh, uh, has particular applications when it comes to the church and church leadership and when it comes to marriage and our roles in marriage. And so the headship of man to the woman in marriage is a picture of the headship of God the Father to Christ. So we got two passages. The Genesis passage teaches us God created us male and female, and that's part of his image. The Corinthians passage teaches us that the headship of the man to the woman reflects the headship of God the Father to Christ. Together, these two passages teach us that marriage is a picture of God, who is one God, yet three person. So that's our our first picture of God in marriage this morning. Marriage is a picture of God as Trinity. Secondly, marriage is a picture of God and his people. A picture of God and his people. Now, we see this in the Old Testament with regards to God and his people, Israel. In the New Testament, we see it with regards to Christ and the church. And we're, we're going to get to Christ in the church in a moment. That's a special case of this. But right now, I want us to see how marriage is a picture of God and His people in the Old Testament. There's some beautiful, beautiful passages on this. First of all, God is described as a husband to Israel. As a husband to Israel. For example, Isaiah 54, we read, For your maker, speaking to Israel, for your maker is your husband. The Lord God Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. Your maker is your husband. What an amazing proclamation to the people of Israel that the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who called the nation of Israel into existence would stand in relationship to his people as a husband to his wife. And this is not an isolated verse of Scripture. This is just one example of many where God is described as a husband to Israel. This is part of the theology of marriage. Marriage is a picture of God and His people. And we see this even more clearly when we look at how our actions towards God, okay, our actions towards God and God's actions towards us are also described in terms relating to marriage. Let's look at the negative side first, get that one out of the way. In Scripture, for example, our unfaithfulness to God, those times we're unfaithful to God, our unfaithfulness to God is described in terms of adultery. Well, adultery, that's a marital term, right? Adultery is a marital term signifying sexual unfaithfulness in marriage. And yet again and again, the Bible describes our unfaithfulness to God in terms of adultery. Let me give you an example. Jeremiah chapter 3, God says this, I gave faithless Israel. This is the northern kingdom now. We have the northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. He says, I gave faithless Israel Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all of her adulteries. He's talking about the the, the exile of the northern kingdom of Israel uh, under Assyria. I gave her certificate of divorce. I sent her away. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. Because Israel, the northern kingdom, because Israel's immorality mattered so little to her, she defiled the land and committed adultery with stone and wood. In spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense. Both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, they were both guilty of idolatry idolatry. They abandoned their primary relationship with God, that marriage relationship, that primary relationship with God, and they worshiped idols made of wood and stone instead. And how does God describe this unfaithfulness? Even though it's spiritual unfaithfulness, he describes it in terms of adultery, a marital term. Ezekiel chapter 16, one of the saddest passages in the Bible. We won't read the whole passage. Let me summarize some of it for you. It is an allegory of unfaithful Jerusalem. God speaks of finding Jerusalem as an abandoned baby in a field. He gave her life and protection, and she grew up into a young woman. And then picking it up in verse 8, we read, uh, God says, later I passed by, and when I looked at you, And I saw that you were old enough for love. I spread the corner of my garment over you. And I covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. Remember, marriage is a sacred covenant. God entered into a covenant with her. And he says, and you became mine. And so the tender marriage now between God and his people is formed. And then next, God goes on to describe how he took care of Jerusalem and how he made her beautiful. We read in verses 13 and 14, he says, You became very beautiful. You rose to be a queen. Your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty, because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the Sovereign Lord Look at all that God did for Jerusalem. She was just a baby in a field. He he protected her. He raised her. He married her. He gave her beauty and splendor. And what did Jerusalem do? How did Jerusalem return God's kindness? We read in the very next verse, verse 15. But you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favors on anyone who passed by and your beauty became his. And, and then the passage just goes on in heartbreaking detail as Jerusalem abandons the God who lovingly committed himself to her and instead commits adultery with the surrounding nations. Once again, just one of many examples in the Bible where our unfaithfulness to God is described in terms of of adultery. But then we have the positive side of this. Because God's faithfulness to us, God's faithfulness to us is described in terms of marital faithfulness. Marital faithfulness. God says to his people in the book of Hosea, we read these verses earlier in the service. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness, in justice, in love, in compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. Now, Ezekiel 16, that may be one of the saddest passages in the Bible, but this passage from Hosea, this is one of the most beautiful. Despite Israel's unfaithfulness, God makes a covenant relationship with his people To betroth them forever. Forever. And do you know what that means for you and me today? Do you know what that means for us? It means that when you come to God for salvation through Jesus Christ, you now belong to him forever. He will never cast you out. God has made a covenant of salvation with you that he will never break. You may slip and fall... You may become unfaithful, but God will not. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.13, If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. When you come to Christ, your sins are forgiven forever, and you have the assurance in Christ of eternal life. And now we begin to see why the Bible forbids adultery and divorce. Why? Because marriage is a picture of God and his people. And God is committed to us forever. God is faithful to us forever. Adultery and divorce distort that picture and they give us a wrong picture of God. And we're going to talk more about this next week when we talk about the challenges of marriage. Five challenges uh, that marriage faces today and actually throughout history. So we're looking at these three pictures of God and marriage this morning. Marriage is a picture of God as Trinity. Marriage is a picture of God and His people. And then finally, picture number three, marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. Christ and the church. We see this in three ways. First of all, The relationship, the relationship of husband and wife reflects the relationship of Christ and the church. The relationship between husband and wife reflects the relationship between Christ and his church. And for this, we're going to go back to Ephesians 5, that passage we started with, Ephesians 5, uh, verse 22, where you read this, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. These verses tell us that the husband is the head of the wife in the same way as Christ is the head of of the church. What does that mean for us in terms of relationships? It means, well, it means exactly what Paul says here. Wives, you are to submit to your husbands in the same way that the church submits to Christ. And husbands, just as important, if not more important, husbands, you are to love your wives and sacrifice for them as Christ loved the church, as Christ sacrificed himself, as Christ gave himself up for the church. You see, the relationship of husband and wife reflects the relationship of Christ and the church. And once again, as Christians, if we get the marriage relationship wrong, what are we doing? We're giving a wrong picture of Christ and church to the world. And believe me, the world is watching. Not only does the relationship of husband and wife reflect the relationship of Christ and the church, also the oneness of husband and wife. Remember, the two become one flesh. The oneness of husband and wife reflects the oneness of Christ and the church. And we just keep moving forward in Ephesians 5, picking up at verse 28 now. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife Loves himself, right? Because the two are one. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does for the church for we are members of his body, of Christ's body. So just as we saw earlier how the oneness of husband and wife reflect in some way the oneness of God as Trinity, here we see that the oneness of husband and wife also reflects the oneness of Christ in his church. And this should not surprise us because Jesus prayed for this. He prayed for this type of unity of uh, of, of the church in Jesus. Uh, in John chapter 17, he prayed this. He said, I pray For those who will believe me through their message. That's us. That's the church. Everyone who's believed in the gospel. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Right? So there's a unity in the church. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, a unity between Jesus and the Father, may they also be in us, our unity with God through Christ. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's the witness to the watching world. There is a mystery in the oneness of Jesus with God the Father. There is a mystery in the oneness of husband and wife. And there is a mystery in this oneness of Christ and the church. And here, uh, back to Ephesians. Paul goes on now to quote from the same verse Jesus quoted from that we saw last week, Genesis 2.24. Paul quotes, he says, For this reason... He's talking about the, the unity of Christ in the church. He goes, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. You go, oh, no, he's talking about marriage, right? But he goes on, to say, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Yes, he's talking about marriage, but that's because marriage is a picture of something far greater. In other words, Christ and the church are primary. Marriage is secondary. Marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. It doesn't work the other way around. Marriage is a picture of Christ and the church, not the other way around. The oneness of husband and wife reflects the oneness of Christ and the church. Once again, this means that Christ and the church are primary. Marriage is secondary. So the relationship of husband and wife reflects the relationship. Of Christ in the church, the oneness of husband and wife reflects the oneness of Christ in the church. And then finally, the marriage of husband and wife reflects the future glory of Christ and the church. And for this, we we go to the back of the book, okay? We go to Revelation, almost to the very end, Revelation chapter 19 where John shares this great vision of heaven. and He shares with us what he's seeing and hearing. He says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, write, John. He's saying, John, write this down now, okay? John's writing it all down, but this is important. Blessed, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Do you like weddings? I like, I, everybody likes I love weddings. Weddings are wonderful. Well, guess what? The greatest wedding of all is nearer than you think. Every wedding you have ever been to, every wedding you will ever go to, no matter how beautiful and they are, no matter how glorious and wonderful and they are, each one is just a pale Picture of the great wedding feast to come when Christ and his church are joined together in heaven forever. Why Why is marriage secondary and Christ and the church primary? Because marriage is a temporary relationship for this life only. But the marriage of Christ and the church is an eternal reality. That will last forever. The marriage of husband and wife reflects the glory, the future glory of Christ and the church. You know, last week we looked at God's design for marriage in the beginning. Let's go back to that definition again God's design for marriage. Marriage was created by God as a sacred covenant relationship. Between a man and a woman based on a public vow of lifetime faithfulness. Last week we looked at the design, right? Now we've just learned why. Why God designed marriage that way. Why God designed marriage as he did. Why did he do it? Because he designed marriage to be a picture of himself. Marriage is a picture of God as Trinity. It's a picture of God and his people. It's a picture of Christ and the church. And when we mess with marriage, we distort the perfect picture that God gave us to teach us about himself. Now, we all know there's no such thing as a perfect marriage, okay? We don't have any perfect pictures of, of, of God and his people and Christ and his church. We've all failed in this area of human relationships. But I don't want you to leave our service this morning discouraged or beat down in any way by your present struggles or your past failures. Know this, there is forgiveness in Christ for the past. There is strength in Christ for the present and praise God there is victory in Christ for the future God's grace is greater than all our sins so let us do as we have been taught to do let us take our sins and failures to the cross of Jesus Christ that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we are sorry that we have not presented a better picture, a better picture of you to the world uh, through marriage in general and, Lord, through, through our own marriages. But Lord, we thank you that you are our God and Savior, and through your holy spirit you 're helping us to grow you 're helping us to, to move along and, and process and to grow in holiness and, and Lord, each of us right now, we just stop and say, "God, help us in this area. help us uh, for those of us who are married to, to, to use our marriages as a way to glorify you and to, to present a, a good testimony to the world, a good picture of who you are and Lord, when we mess up when we fall. Lord, help us to waste no time but to come directly to you confessing our sin, receiving your forgiveness, and starting again. We thank you for the new start that we have every day in Jesus Christ. Great is your faithfulness, God. Your mercies are new every morning, how we need them, how we thank you for them. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.